you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter one. Nehemiah chapter one, if you use one of our Bibles, that's page 329. And uh, this morning, we're gonna begin kind of a four or five week journey. Um, we're gonna pray our way through the book of Nehemiah, and I'll explain that a little bit more here in the next few minutes. Uh, but uh, as we're getting started, you know, you've probably heard this kind of already throughout the morning. Today begins uh, the beginning of, of a new season for us as a church family where we're taking the next month, starting today, today is day one, of seeking God through prayer and fasting. And it's gonna look different for all of us. You know, one of the things that I've kind of challenged you to do over the last couple of weeks is uh, to go on our website, ethoschurch.org. We have a 30-day prayer calendar that we've created. And I just wanna say this from my heart to your heart. I'm just asking if any of you consider ethos to be your home. We're asking every person that considers ethos their church home over the next 30 days to give the first part of every day to just seeking the heart of God for revival. And this, this little guide, is, it just kind of take you on that journey. That way we can pray together. Just asking God to, to just awaken us, you know, for, uh, the hearts, uh, for the heart of God, to awaken us to uh, one another and one another's needs, to awaken us to what's going on in the city. And so uh, for the next 30 days, we're asking everybody in our church to pray. We're asking you to fast. For some of you, you'll fast for um, one meal a day or for one day a week or for social media every day or from sunup to sundown. Fasting will look different for all of us. We're, we're asking you to, hey, just take your next step not your spouse's next step or your roommate's next steps or your friend's next step, but to, to just take your next step and say, God, I wanna put myself in a place to encounter your presence because we're asking God for revival. You know, tonight, uh, starting at 5 p.m., uh, from 5 p.m. tonight until 5 p.m. tomorrow, we're gonna have a 24-hour prayer vigil and we're inviting everybody in our church. If you, if you can spare some time, actually, no, not even spare time. If you can sacrifice some time and make it a priority, Come pray with us at any point between 5 p.m. tonight and 5 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, in your seat when you came in, there's this little sheet that kind of gave you an overview of what we're gonna be praying about each hour. And some of you won't be able to be here physically, and that's so okay. But I wanna invite you to pray with us wherever you're at, to take this sheet home with you and, and, and to pray because we're asking God. We're asking God for revival. There's so many ways that, that we could define revival or describe revival. We're gonna use that, that language a lot over the next couple of weeks. And so I just kinda wanna give you what I, what I mean by revival. I'm talking about those moments where God undeniably and radically awakens the heart of his church so that his church can radically love and serve and bless the community they're in. That revival is not just this moment of like frenetic, emotional like upheaval in the life of a church. Revival's not just this moment where we come together and we're all excited about what's happening here. No, revival is this moment where God undeniably and radically touches the heart of his church so that the church can be useful in loving and serving and blessing the city that it's been sent to. Does that make sense? So over the next month, we're going, hey God, would, would you awaken us? Would you bring about revival in, in our lives? And God, would that spill out? You know, I remember nine years ago when we started this church. You know, we were a really small group of people then. Uh, I remember this area of the city looked so different than it looks right now. The gulch basically didn't exist. Nobody lived downtown. The Music City Center wasn't here. This is kind of a rundown part of the neighborhood. I remember we'd tell people, hey, we're gonna plant a church in downtown Nashville. I'd tell them where we're gonna start the church. And everybody'd say, why? Like, it's not a very good neighborhood. And we're like, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that where the church is called to be? And now it, it seems so crazy to even believe that that was true. But I remember years ago, this, this place was not exactly the place that it is now. 
I remember we had just one worship gathering, one worship service each week, and it was in the evening. Small group of people, we all met over in that corner, kind of there in the back. 50 or 60 of us when we just started off in this room. And I remember word kind of got out in the neighborhood that there's a, a group of young Christians here, and, and it started bringing people out of the woodwork. God started doing things, and it also brought people out of the woodwork that had bad intentions. And I remember uh, people started showing up, and they'd wait in the parking lot, and they'd rob our people. I kid you not, true story. People get robbed sometimes when they leave our worship gatherings, and we thought, that's not good. That's not good for PR. I don't, I don't know if you've ever, like, tried marketing a church. We haven't either, by the way, but if you've ever tried marketing a church... Getting robbed in the parking lot, it's not exactly the best way to start. You don't lead with that. But, but we didn't have any money, and so we thought, okay, let's, let's get somebody. We, we couldn't afford to bring a police officer to, to keep us safe, and so I got on Craigslist. You know, it's a, a great story when you start with, I got on Craigslist, but I got on Craigslist and put an ad out for anybody that could help come protect our church. That's how desperate we were, and, and this guy said he would do it for a small amount of money, which is all we had, so it was good news. And I remember he showed up in that first week. I'm like, hey, guys, there's, there's somebody here. And he's going to help us. He'll walk into the car, and we get done with our worship service, and uh, uh, people start walking out. They're like, there's nobody out here to help us? And so I'm just now filled with the rage of God. I'm like, I spent all $40 we had on this security guard, guard off of Craigslist. God, where is he? And so we're like walking around the parking lot, and I, I find him. He's sound asleep in his Toyota Corolla, true story, just sleeping in the parking lot. So I knock on the window, and he kind of comes awake, and I'm like, hey, give me my money back and go home. Like, we don't need you. It's too late. And we, we get in this, like, holy confrontation. I promise you I honored God. Like, you know, uh, no fisticuffs, nothing weird, you know. But um, we, we were arguing. I'm like, dude, like, you're not doing your job. And I'll never forget. He looked at me in, in a really loud voice. He says, bro, I'm here. And I'm like, I don't need you to be here. I need you to be awake. I need you to be attentive. I need you to pay attention. I need you to be aware of what's going on. I don't just need you to be here. I need you to be awake. I'm convinced the city of Nashville doesn't need just another church to be here. There's a lot of churches that are here. The city of Nashville doesn't need another place where a group of people come and sit and listen and consume and leave. The city of Nashville needs a church that's awake. Awake to the voice of God, awake to the heart of God, awake to the will of God, awake to the word of God, awake to the desires of God, awake to one another, awake to the city, awoken to the places of brokenness, awoken to the places of dreams and hopes. The church does not need another place. The city doesn't need us just to be here. It needs us to be awake. That's the work of the Lord, and I believe that's what God wants to do this month is he wants to awaken us. But waking up is, is hard to do, right? Like, it is hard to wake up. I'm just curious. Like, own it. Like, raise your hand if you're a morning person. No, no judgment here. Raise your hand high. Like, if you wake up in the morning and your best ideas are there, like, you don't need coffee. Coffee needs you. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning and the coffee is ready. Like, where is my girl? Where's my boy to come wake me up? Like, some of you are morning people. The rest of us are a little less sanctified. Like, mornings just aren't that great. Like, you know, for me, I'm barely a Christian before noon, so I'm sorry. Like, you know, you'll, you'll notice as this worship gathering goes on, I'll get holier. Like, this is the way it works. Like, I, I'm, I'm barely a Christian in, in the morning. I remember discovering this, you know, when my wife and I first got married, she's a morning person. And we, we think back on this one memory in particular. We'd been married almost a year. It was a Saturday morning, and uh, she comes in, and she wakes me up. It's 8.45. She's like startling me awake, and she's like, hey, I let you sleep in. And I'm like, our definition of sleeping in is totally different. 
And she said, I've been up for hours. She said, I went for a walk and I cleaned up the kitchen. I did our taxes. I'm like, what, come again? She really had, she had done our taxes. She said, I can't do anything else. I need you to get out of bed. I need you to wake up. And it's kind of been the joke of our marriage, these moments where she comes in. She's like, Dave, like, I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up. Like, like you're sleeping through this one. You're missing out. Hey, you were in the living room tonight with our kids, but you weren't in the living room with our kids. I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up. And the Lord has like so graciously taught me that it's possible to be alive and asleep. And if you want to enjoy being alive, you have to be awoken. And we're just coming before the Lord this month. We're saying, God, here we are. In all of our places of brokenness, in all of our places of insufficiency, God, will you wake us up? And that's the journey that we're gonna go on. And so our, our goal this month is not just to talk about God or just to think about God, but to give you and I adequate space to come in this place and to talk with God, to be with God. And so I wanna encourage you, get here earlier and come expectant for the God that wants to meet you and to awaken you. We're gonna do this by, by working through the book of Nehemiah. And I'll just give you the cliff notes on Nehemiah. I don't know how much of his story you know. But it's a story that takes place 450 years before Jesus came to earth. And at the time of the story of Nehemiah, the most powerful nation on earth was the nation of Persia, which is in modern day Iran. And Nehemiah was a guy that was living there in modern day Iran. He was the right hand guy to the king, King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer to the king, which means uh, he had to taste the king's wine before uh, the king would taste it to make sure it hadn't been poisoned. It was a place of great intimacy with the king. It was a place of great trust and of great influence. And, and God's going to come into Nehemiah's life and he's going to awaken him. And what you're going to see in the middle of this awakening is that God is going to awaken this one man and he's going to use him to rebuild an entire generation. And over the last month I've been praying, I've been going, God, there are women in this church you want to awaken. There are men in this church that you want to awaken. And the awakening will never stop with them. I go, God, I believe you want to rebuild a generation. Nehemiah chapter one, there's this picture of what awakening tangibly looks like. And if you take notes, there's gonna be kind of three pictures we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna start in verse one. I want you to see this with me. It says, these are the words of Nehemiah. In other words, we're reading this guy's journal, okay? Son of Hakali, I don't know how you pronounce that, but <laughs> if you're looking for a kid's name, there you go. In the month of Kislev, which is the month of December, okay? So it's the month of December, Nehemiah is writing in his journal. In the 20th year, I was in the citadel of Susa. So here we are, Persia, the most powerful country on earth. The citadel was the palace in the middle of that temple. And so if this was a movie, the camera is like zooming in to the center point of power. Verse two, it says, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah. That was about a thousand mile journey. It would have taken them 25 days to make that trip with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For many days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So I want you to notice where this awakening begins in the life of Nehemiah. He's in this place of comfort. He's in this place of influence and intimacy with the most powerful person on earth at this time. And God comes in with this moment of awakening and the awakening starts with the awakening of his heart. Verse 
It starts with the awakening of his heart. It's what we talked about the last three weeks, you know, a heart that's set to seek, a heart that's open to God, a heart that is ready to be humbled before God. That every great awakening in the history of Christian, of the Christian story has begun when God awakens one woman's, one man's heart. It begins with the awakening of his heart. His, his brother comes to him. He's in this place of comfort. And he says, hey, Nehemiah, there are some things going on out there beyond the safety of this comfort that you find yourself in. There's some things happening out there that you need to know about. He says, Jerusalem, the place that all of our ancestors are from, it's been destroyed. The walls have been broken down. The city's been burned with fire. And the people that are left there are in, in disgrace. They've been disrupted and they're down. Why don't you just imagine what it'd be like if you, if you heard the place you'd grown up had been destroyed. The place that you had grown up had, had been leveled. You know, during the days of Nehemiah, walls were a big deal because if a city didn't have walls around it, they were open to the warlords of the region. They would come in and they would pillage the towns. They'd take their women and children. They'd destroy the economy. For the walls to be breached was this sign that they were wide open to all of those of ill intent coming towards them. And there's this moment where Nehemiah's brother comes to him and he says, he says hey, I've got some bad news. Things out there are not as pleasant as they are in here. And I believe that this is the place where awakening in the church begins because sometimes in the church we can get in our little bubbles, can't we? We get in our little place and it feels so safe, it feels so put together, but the Spirit of God comes in and he says, hey, I wanna wake you up. And he starts by awakening your heart to the brokenness that's going on all around us. Nehemiah's brother comes to him with some bad news. It begins awakening his heart. But here's what struck me. I never noticed this. I've read the book of Nehemiah so many times. I never noticed this until a few months ago is that it's not just that his brother came to Nehemiah with bad news, his brother came to Nehemiah with old news. I've never seen this before. So often I've read this book and it's, it's almost like the, the walls have been destroyed, the city's been burned, and then the brothers come and tell Nehemiah immediately what's happened and he's responding for the first time to a fresh set of information. Do you know how long before this conversation went down the walls had been broken and burned? 140 years. The walls have been destroyed and burned and left in rubble for 140 years. It'd be like somebody running into this room during our worship service and going, hey, the president has been shot and killed. Everybody's like, wait, what? President Trump has been killed? And they go, no, no, no. President Lincoln has been shot and killed. And you're like, the President Lincoln from eighth grade, like American, yeah. Well, you interrupted us to tell us that? Even stranger would be if someone fell to the ground in a pool of tears. The breaking of Nehemiah's heart in this moment, it's not a sociological breaking, it's a spiritual breaking. Because he hasn't received new information, his heart has just been opened in a new way to what has been going on for a long time. You'll notice this sometimes when the Spirit of God comes into a church, he begins to break our hearts over conditions that have been existing in the culture long, long before we were around, long before we came to recognize them. And if you don't understand that so often before God will use your life, he will break your heart, you won't recognize what's happening when the heart's breaking. Nehemiah cries fresh tears over an old situation because the Spirit of God was opening them up in brand new ways. I remember experiencing this before we started Ethos. I had all these friends who who didn't love Jesus, didn't care about Jesus, weren't walking with Jesus, that had been true for as long as I'd known in them, some of them 10, 15 years. 
But all of a sudden, there's this season where I found myself, literally, I would just think of one of my friends, I'd just start weeping. I remember thinking I'm having a spiritual breakdown. I'm like, what's going on? And I didn't recognize that this is so often the way the Spirit of God will work. He begins by awakening our hearts to the stuff that's going on all around us. Some of it's been going on for a long time. But I love this. The awakening of the heart doesn't just stop with stuff out there. Keep going in verse five. Look at this. It says, then I said to the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Listen to this. He says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you in our wicked ways. This is one of the ways you know the Holy Spirit is really working in a church as the church quits pointing fingers about all the brokenness out there and the church starts raising its hands to acknowledge the way that our sin has contributed to the brokenness out there. And Nehemiah, his, his heart is being awakened not just to the physical plight of the people, his heart is being awakened to the reality that his sin had contributed to their circumstances. And this is the way you know the difference between a Holy Spirit-infused revival and a revival that has simply been drummed up by the emotions of a bunch of Christians that want church to be better. All of a sudden, your heart begins to break about what's going on out there, but your heart also begins to take ownership of the ways that you've contributed to what's going on out there. I remember my sophomore year in college, going through this season where I just felt all of this kind of angst and sadness over some of the racial tensions that we were experiencing on our campus. And it just, it just it, it messed me up. I didn't know what to do with that. I remember this one night, I'm, I'm sitting in a group of friends, and one of my closest friends in that season of life, he was a guy that didn't look like me. We don't have the same skin color. He came from a different country. And truly, like one of my, my closest friends. And I remember we're sitting there in this moment. We're just all laughing. We're being 19-year-old guys. And I'll never forget making this joke about the country he came from. And everybody starts laughing. I got the cheap laugh that I wanted in the moment. But I looked at his face, and I recognized that he didn't think it was funny. And I'll never forget the look on his face. He was much more mature than me, and so he didn't make a scene. He didn't call me out. He just got up and he walked away. And I remember kind of chasing him down, and I began to apologize. And I'll never forget that evening. We're sitting there, and he begins telling me, he says, Dave, you have no idea what it's like to have my color skin in a city like Nashville. You have no idea what it feels like to come from the country that I've come from and to be in a place like Nashville. And I'm just trying to profusely apologize to my friend. And I'll never forget him. He stopped me. He said, Dave, the least offensive part of that whole scenario was the joke you made. He said, he said the joke was tasteless. He said, the thing that hurt me was I understood that that joke was flowing out of your racist heart. And I remember just thinking, I'm not racist. And he's like, Dave, you are so blind to your racism. And the Holy Spirit of God just came in and was saying, Dave, the reason your campus is having issues is because people like you are a part of the campus. And all of a sudden, my heart was just being awakened, not just to the situation out there, but to the situation in here. Does that make sense? That when we have the boldness to say, God, we want revival, revival starts when God begins to awaken our hearts. And so often before he will use our lives, he will break our hearts. And this month, some of you are going to experience the breaking of God, but nothing from the hand of God is anything that you need to fear. Because everything that comes from God is for your good and your joy 
in the glory of the God that's doing it in your life. There's this awakening that begins to happen in the heart, but it doesn't just stop with the heart being awakened. You get into verse eight and you begin to see that it's also this awakening of the mind. It begins to change, the spirit of God begins to change the way we think and the way we operate. Look at this verse eight. He says, he says Lord, I remember the instruction that you gave to your servant Moses. You said that if you're unfaithful, you, Lord, would scatter us among the nations. Verse nine, but Lord, you also said that if you return to me and if you obey my commands, then even if your people have been exiled to the farthest horizon, I want you to notice that. He's saying, listen, even if our sin has taken us farther than we ever could have imagined, even if our sin has drug us out into places we couldn't have fathomed, listen to this. He says, you, Lord, has said, verse nine, that you will gather them from there, bring them to this place that you've chosen to be the dwelling of your name. I love this, Nehemiah, he experiences this awakening of his heart, but he doesn't just experience the awakening of his heart, he experiences the awakening of his mind, and all of a sudden, he begins to recognize that God is better at restoring than the people are at destroying that God is better at rebuilding than they are at tearing down, that God is better at cleaning up than they are making a mess. And he says, God, despite all that is going on out there in the culture and despite all that is stirring up within me in the culture, you are awakening my mind to recognize that you're a God that is immeasurably capable of doing more than I could ask or imagine and that you, God, are better at restoring than we are destroying. See, we live in a culture where God gets all of the blame but none of the credit. When a tsunami comes or a hurricane comes, where's God? He gets blamed for everything. He gets none of the credit for the millions of blessings we're encountering every day that we don't even know to thank him for. But there's this thing that happens in spiritual awakening. It's not just that your heart begins to come alive. It's that your mind begins to see the world and see God differently. And you begin to remember that the God of Moses and the God of Elijah and the God of Isaiah and the God of Deborah and the God of Ruth and the God of Jeremiah and the God of Daniel and the God of Esther and the God of Nehemiah is your God. And that God is not in his twilight years. He's not in his fourth quarter. His power has not run out. His arm has not grown short. His heart for you is not lacking. And then because God is God, there's this awakening that happens where we begin to believe, God, you can restore. You can restore. You can rebuild. And some of you, you look around your life and everything right now is just rubble. The walls are down. The marriage is a mess. The job is upside down and you're waiting for the shoe to drop because you know it's coming. Your relationship with your kids or with your friends is, is beyond repair. You look at the culture around you, you go, man, I don't know how God will ever fix this. I go, the, the, the moment you hear a church saying that God is done with this nation or done with this city, or the moment you hear a church saying God is done with this person, it's not a reflection that they've given up on those people or the culture. It's a reflection that they've given up on the God that is capable of restoring and redeeming and rebuilding the people in the culture. There's this awakening, the awakening of the heart, the awakening of the mind that says whenever God is in the equation, hope is not the outside horse. Hope is the one that we are betting to win. There's this awakening of the heart, there's this awakening of the mind, and then last, there's this awakening of the will. Look at the end of verse 11, I love this. Nehemiah has been crying, he's been heartbroken, God's beginning to capture his imagination in a fresh way. 
He says this at the end of verse 11. He says, Lord, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man because I am cupbearer to the king. I want you to notice this. There's this moment where, where Nehemiah, his heart is awakened to what's happening out there and to what's going on in him. His mind is awakened to the sufficiency of God to rebuild that which has been destroyed. But all of a sudden, his willpower is awakened and Nehemiah recognizes that true revival will always move us from apathy to action. That true revival will always move us from merely crying tears in the palace to rolling up our sleeves and putting on our shoes and stepping into that which God is inviting us into. We live in a culture that is filled with advocates, but it is seriously lacking activists. Everyone wants to use their voice, but so few want to use their lives. It'd be amazing if there was some sort of like code that you could not tweet until you had tried living it out first. We all want to use our voice, but God's looking for people that will surrender their lives. And there's this moment where Nehemiah says, no, you know what? I don't just want to cry in the palace. I don't just want to think about what has happened. I don't just want to be awakened to a new way of seeing the world. He says, no, Lord, I want you to use me. And he says, would you give me success as I step into the impossible? Lord, would you give me success as I try to partner with you for the rebuilding of a generation? And I believe this is the journey that so many of you are gonna go on this month, where God is going to touch your heart, God is going to change your mind, and then God is going to give you the marching orders that will involve you partnering with him to rebuild a generation. And I go, I don't know what you are expecting this month, but if it is anything short or anything too small, I go, let's come back with a fresh sense of expectancy because the God of, God, the God of Nehemiah is the God of Ethos Church. And this month we're saying, Lord, here we are. We're ready. We give you permission to wake us up. Earlier this last year, I went through this season of, of spiritual grief. I didn't even know that was a thing. But I went through this season where I was grieving the condition of some things in our culture and some things in our church and some things in my own life. I, I didn't even know this was going on. I don't know if you've ever experienced something so deep that you're even unaware of it yourself. I remember it was last May, early in the morning, the Spirit of God, he just woke me up and I'm, I'm there in my prayer time and I'm talking with the Lord and I just sensed in my heart that he's saying, hey Dave, um, get up and study the stages of grief. And I, I didn't even really know what that meant. I remember hearing about that in freshman intro to psychology, you know, that y'all have to take if you go to liberal arts school and but I didn't remember much, so I got up and I just literally Googled stages of grief and I started looking through it. You know, stage one is denial. You deny that anything has been lost, you deny that anything needs to be grieved. Stage two is anger. You're well aware that something has been lost and now you're just angry about it. Stage three is control, where you go, man, I've lost before, I don't wanna lose again, so I'm just gonna control this to make sure I don't ever lose. Stage four is depression, and some of you have experienced that, just the the soul-shattering weight of, I, I just can't get beyond this. And then stage five is acceptance, where you just go, it is what it is what it is. And remember, I was sitting there with the Lord, and, and he's having me study these stages of grief, and I'm like, God, like, I don't even know why you're having me study this. And the Spirit of God just says, Dave, because you've been grieving. You've been grieving. But here's the deal, Dave. I, I, I only break a heart when that heart finds itself in the context of a life that I wanna use. He says, I'm breaking your heart because I want to use your life. And I'll never forget this gentle word that the Spirit of God spoke to me in that prayer time. He says, Dave, the difference between worldly grief and kingdom grief is the last stage of worldly grief is acceptance. 
But the last stage of kingdom grief, kingdom of God grief, is activation. And he says, I never break your heart just so you could cry in the church or cry in the palace. He says, I've broken your heart and I'm changing your mind so you'll put on your shoes and you'll walk into what it is that God has for you in the stage. Are you ready, church, to be awakened? I go, can you imagine the awakening? The city doesn't just need a church that's here. The city needs a church that's been awakened. And I've just been praying all month. I've been going, okay, God, come on, God, wake us up. And for some of you, you're like me, you're not mourning people in the physical realm or in the spiritual realm, and the waking up is gonna feel challenging. But the God that's by your bedside trying to move you into action is the God that loves you and knows you and made you, and he has immeasurably more for you than you could ask or imagine. I thought all month, God, what would happen if you just rose up one person, awoke one person, it'd be amazing. But what if you, Lord, what if you woke up all 3,000 of us that call Ethos home? What happened if you, if you woke all of us up to your voice and to your will and to your desires, to the needs of one another, and to the needs of the city? I believe God would use you to rebuild a generation. And I wanna invite you to join me in praying over the next 30 days that God would make ethos a place where generation rebuilders gather and where God uses us in mighty ways for his glory and our joy and the good of all those that are around us. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this every week. We're not just gonna talk about the word or think about the word, but we're gonna talk with God in response to the word. And there's gonna be this slide. They're gonna go ahead and put it up on the screen. I wanna invite you to do just a couple of things here in just a moment, okay? Um, I'm gonna invite you to spend some time reflecting. You can reflect on your own. You can reflect out loud with somebody next to you. And you can spend some time then praying about that which you've reflected upon, okay? And so I just wanna challenge you, if you're comfortable talking with somebody next to you here in just a minute, I'm gonna turn you loose and just invite you to just spend some time talking with the person next to you. Say, hey, in this season, I'm sensing that God needs to awaken me at the heart level or he needs to awaken my mind or he needs to awaken my willpower. Or maybe you're like me and you need to be awakened in all of these areas in some ways. But just spend some time just reflecting and sharing that with the people next to you. If you don't wanna talk with the person next to you, Get out a journal, you can write. You can get out your phone. Just, just really spend some time. The rest of your week is gonna be bombarded with people coming at you needing things. You're gonna have some space right here and right now. You and God, just listen. And I wanna challenge you to start by reflecting. And then the second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is to, to spend some time praying. Not just thinking, but to praying, like talking with God. If you don't know what to pray, I put just a simple prayer on the screen. Hey, Father God, we give you permission to fully awaken us in this season. You know, like when you stay at a hotel and you call down to the front desk and you're like, hey, I need a wake-up call at six in the morning. Like, you give that person there the permission to disrupt you from your comfort. As a church, that's what we're doing right now this morning. We're going, hey, God, we're giving you permission to wake us up. And some of you are going, that's scary. I don't want that. I'm telling you, he is so much better than you know. You don't ever have to be scared of what God wants to do in your life. It doesn't mean it won't be startling. It doesn't mean it won't stretch you. But I promise you, I promise you, what God wants to awaken in you this month will be for your joy and your blessing and his glory. So I want to challenge you here in just a moment. Give us somebody. Let's reflect. Let's talk. We're going to give you a long time to, to pray. And then I'll get back up here. I'll send us to communion. We'll, we'll worship together. We'll have men and women at the back respond banner in the corner and one up front. If you need prayers for awakening, if you need God to do something, come receive prayer. Okay, that's, that's just gonna all be fair game 
uh, for the next 20 or 30 minutes as we wrap up our time together. So um, I'm gonna give you 10 or 15 minutes right now to reflect and pray. Let me pray over you, and then we'll go into this. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your presence in our life. Thank you for the way that you love us. God, thank you for the way that you are, are summoning us to, to get out of bed, to open our eyes, to, to see you, to know you, to see one another, to see the world around us. God, I just pray for a supernatural awakening of the heart and the mind and the will for everybody that calls Ethos Church home. God, would you use us to rebuild a generation? God, would you use us to, to rebuild a nation? God, would you use us in ways that we don't even know how to ask you for? for your glory and our joy and the good of those around us. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen.